So let's start there. Let's have a, a space where we can make mistakes and we normalize that. And we say it's okay because we're trying to learn how this can work for us. I think too often in companies, they're thinking about what is your plan with AI? What can you do? How is it going to uplift something? So it's almost like success is baked into the actual equation. I don't want you to fail, but I want you to try something new, which is kind of opposites, right? Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sophion Chief Evangelist. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join me again. I hope you're having a great week uh, wherever you happen to be. My guest today is Marco Jack. And, you know, in preparing for this and reading a little bit about Marco, and, and you'll meet him in a second, the best way I can describe him is he seems to have always been an entrepreneur. He did start a couple of companies, but what's really neat and what we're going to be talking about today is he started companies around uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence, which I think many of us are are struggling with in, in, in how do we bring it in and how do we look at that and how do we innovate around it. So Marco agreed to join us. He's actually currently the CEO of his latest startup, which is called Secta.ai. And uh, Marco, welcome to the show. Hey, Paul, thanks for having me. Really, really good to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Glad you could join us. And where are you joining us from? Yeah, I'm in Austin, Texas. It's a 102 outside. So I'm really glad I'm inside <laughs> speaking to you. <laughs> Gosh, 102. Oh, my goodness. The heat never ends down there. No, it doesn't. <laughs> well, let's start with Sector.ai. You know, why don't you tell us about your company, Marco? Yeah, um, I'm, re I'm really glad it's sort of simple to explain. We give you our professional, uh, our, our professional headshots with AI. So you upload a whole bunch of regular photos of yourself or lay in a group. And we, what we do is we actually train an AI model to recreate those kind of pictures, almost like you would teach a kind of painter to actually paint you. It's really, really kind of helpful to everyone out there who's just trying to, you know, make the best kind of impression that they can on their online profile or in their applications for jobs. And that's what we're doing. Yeah. So as an individual, right, you always get asked, oh, give, can you provide a headshot? Or, you know, if you're in LinkedIn, you know, what, what do you upload? Which, which horrible photo of yourself do you choose to upload there, right? It's hard. And we could go pay a photographer, but even that, I've, I've done that. That happens to be my, my profile picture for, for the podcast here, but that's even that is, is hard to do. So you've, you're really targeting that individual who, who has that problem, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, we often hear the sort of story of uh, I've been thinking about updating my kind of wedding picture. And uh, I saw this and I was like, this is it. So, as you know, everyone's like uh, they've got an old photo of themselves that they know looks pretty good, but it's time to get like a new one and they just can't bring themselves to go and book it or spend the money or anything else. And it's it's actually a much bigger kind of market because there's a lot of people who can now do this where they wouldn't have gone to a, a professional or photographer anyways. So that's exciting about that. Well, how in the world did you come up with that idea? How'd you start this company? So 
I think as you kind of mentioned with your introduction, by the way, thank you. <laughs> That's such a kind of flattering introduction, but it's true. I've been building things over time. Actually, my first company, which I built as a tech product, was in the AI space as well. It was on the text side, not on the image side. So basically processing like unstructured text. And I've always been interested in the space and uh, what it can do, right? But it's always been difficult to find the right application for it. And at the beginning of last year, I'm sure you saw with this whole AI art explosion with actually MidJourney, open AIs like Dolly, uh, I was also one of those people playing with it and going, what can I do with this? Uh, and at the end of last year, I started a sort of fun avatar thing, which maybe some people have seen as well. That's the thing that turns you into a kind of Superman or anime character or something else like that. Uh, and my co-founder and I, we built a, like a small app that will do that. And of course, it sort of fell kind of flat because people were like, this is cool, but what do I do with this? The idea actually came from I had some kind of fight with my wife. I don't know what we were fighting about, but she actually sent me a text and she said, not that I'm talking to you, but could you do this for my kind of LinkedIn picture? And I was like, well, that's a real application now that we can apply this tech. It took about an extra month to get to that point where we could generate that kind of picture because these AI models are very geared towards creating artistic kind of content. Uh, and since then, we've just improved and improved. And so it sort of came out of just following my curiosity, putting something out there and seeing where that goes. And it's been, uh, yeah, we've done what's in 4.2 million. 4.2 million, what, photos you've... you've or, yeah, yeah. Wow. What's in 4.2 million kind of headshots. And that's since the beginning of, uh, beginning of the year. Yeah, that's incredible. 4.2 million headshots since January. Well, that's, that's what that's you right. call a success. Congratulations. That's awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. You mentioned, though, text AI at one point. And by the way, the, the, there was an art contest in Denver. And there's probably other stories like this. There was an art contest in Denver, Colorado, which is where I spend a lot of my life. And the winning entry was AI generated. And then they thought, oh my goodness, what kind of scandal is this? But they, they actually recognized that as a valid uh, type of art, which was, was pretty neat. It's a pretty impressive photo uh, out there. But you mentioned text, you know, now you're talking uh, image, right? So you've had this this journey through the different technologies of artificial intelligence and machine learning. Just tell us a little more about that journey, you know, how you've seen the tooling evolve or the, or the, the market evolve. Let's go back to your earlier text one and just take us through that journey a little bit. Yeah. When I, when I think back, so as you asked me that, I sort of think back to the first time I experienced it. And like the first time I experienced the ability for the text was actually uh, I tried using some of the first deep kind of learning techniques to generate a poem in the style of Shakespeare. That was one of the early things I did. And it was really bad, but it was surprisingly good in how bad it was, right? I was able to sort of look a little bit like it didn't make any sense, but I was able to get a little bit of that done. And so uh, I think that was the sort of spark for me to know, like, this is an interesting space. And it's very easy to discount these tools early on as a kind of toy, as something that doesn't add value. It's actually why companies, you know, struggle to bring this into their teams is because at the beginning, they're just not that good uh, in some yeah. ways. Uh, there's, all, there's all kinds of problems. And so, yeah, over time, just try different things, different applications. I even built something that hasn't seen the 
light of day, which was a, a tool to automatically build your kind of your kind of website, uh, so that it would instead of you building it, the AI would re kind of shuffle all the parts of your page to provide the most personalized experience to anyone coming onto the site. So just trying things, of course, always with the case of how does it solve a problem for the actual customer? Because customers in many ways don't care about how you do it. They just care that it does something for them. Yeah. I'm just thinking of the evolution of the technology and you were just kind of right along with it over those experiences. And I think a challenge many of us innovation that are working in innovation face today is we know we need to do something with AI. We can't ignore it because if we ignore it, our competitors are going to do something, right? Sometimes that challenge comes from way on high. The, the investors of our companies will say, hey, I, I want to know what you guys are doing for AI. Or sometimes it comes from uh, ground up, right? With some really smart people saying, you know, we really need to get something going. But if you think about that, what, what are some of the challenges that innovation teams face when they decide, oh, let's pursue AI in, in our solution? Wow. Yeah. So I think in my mind, so to give you a bit of background on my end, the experience I have here, and this sort of colors a lot of my answer here is seeing how companies do this is actually trying to sell AI into a really big company and seeing how that sort of flows through the company over time. Uh, this what's the first company we actually did enterprise kind of sales in the HR tech space. And so I would say the things I see really is that uh, within a big company, like there's three areas that you really want to get kind of right in order for this to actually work. And I would say the first one is you've got to understand like the nature of the disruptive tech. When you say AI, right, we're coloring the entire answer of this question within like how do you innovate with a disruptive technology, a new technology that makes something significantly easier or better or some part of something, right? The innovation, I'd also say there's also, let's say, typical innovation coming out with a brand new product or like a brand new line. But in the context of this, it's really the nature of disruptive tech introduces some new kinds of challenges. Uh, the second thing I would say that you need to get right, which might be the first thing is the most important thing, but that's the, what is the view of the customer? How do you position your own product in the space? I saw you had like, April Dunford on this uh, podcast. So anyone who's actually listening, go back to that episode. That's yeah. really key, which is uh, what your customers care about and, and how are you working backwards always towards that. And then the third part, which is maybe more applicable for big companies, and I've seen quite a bit of that play out and have a whole bunch of stories there, is the F culture. Like what culture do you have that would enable this to, to actually take place? So we can dig into any one of those. You tell me where to go. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting. You know, the first thing that popped in my mind on culture, and let's, let's, well, let's dive into that one a little bit, was yeah, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I'm going to get it wrong uh, because it's something I don't, it's new. I don't understand it. So the culture has to be one of accepting. It's got to be a learning culture. It, uh, it's got to be a change culture, right? Because things are changing awful fast. But when, when you talk about culture, what was in your mind? Yeah. So, you know, you're definitely on the right track with that. That's you, basically what I see in big companies is almost the more customers you have, the more afraid you are. Mm. Because doing new things introduces all kinds of risks. 
And fear is the actual killer at the end of the day. Uh, so, you know, there's this other kind of saying, I don't know who came up with it, but they said, don't expect someone to understand something if them getting paid depends on them not understanding it. So you also have these, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a mouthful, right? But basically it is, I'm unpacking that. that. Yeah. (laughs) Anyone in the company who's getting paid to not understand something in a way they won't understand how that new technology will, will help because it might change like the nature of the actual job. So, you know, don't ever expect someone who does sales to not do sales because that's how they get paid. Yeah. And, and so that leads me to the other part of culture, which is sort of, and that maybe comes a little bit to the disruptive nature of the tech, but you have to be prepared to lose some business almost. You have to be prepared to fail. Uh, and that comes to what you, you know, you were saying a bit as well, which is creating a safe space. So I would say the first thing maybe in a big company is, uh, finding a way, even if it's on a team level, on a you know the organizational level, preferably that's a top-down thing, right? Is actually making failure an okay thing. And so what I saw when I did my first sale, I actually found what the group HR head, what she did, that was great. So, you know, she brought everyone in. And the one thing she did is when we were talking about how we would integrate the AI into the company, she said, well, these are the areas that maybe don't have the most impact, but we can make mistakes in. So let's start there. Let's have a a space where we can make mistakes and we normalize that. And we say, it's okay, because we're trying to learn how this can work for us. I think too often in companies, they're thinking about what is your plan with AI? What can you do? How is it going to uplift something? So it's almost like success is baked into the actual equation. I don't want you to fail, but I want you to try something new, which is kind of opposites, right? Yeah. I think that's where that's where the, the innovation team is stuck, right? Because we're all saying to ourselves, well, is AI mature? Is it safe? Is it stable? Is now the time, right? Exactly, yeah. And that comes back to that point. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really good question because it comes back to the point of like the disruptive nature itself. So if you want, I can maybe just tell you a brief story about how this actually fits within what we are doing now. Definitely, please. Yeah, so if you look at the history of of photography, right, and you say, what is the first type of of photography which was done? Uh, That was actually actually paintings. People would pay to get their portrait done. You'd have to sit there for two days and you'd spend, uh, I tried to benchmark how much it would cost and it was something like $5,000 to $100,000 for your picture. But you'd have to sit there for two days while, while the person actually paints you. Yeah. <laughs> and so, of course, that was only available to the extremely wealthy. And then from there, we went into the early kind of film. And the early film, again, was about $5,000 in today's money just to get a single picture that might even fail. So you'd even have a guarantee of success. You'd have to pay for it and the picture didn't come out properly. And so you can keep on, I mean, I'm not going to walk through every single type of thing, but in every single change or phase shift of the technology, there's a trade-off that sort of gets actually baked in. So if you look at this, let's say the Nikon F1, which is considered to be one of the professional grade kind of film cameras that came out in 1959, I think. It took actually 40 years, so 1999, for the digital version of that, the Nikon D1, to come out. So that entire, what's a 40-year period, was a trade-off on the quality. You still got good quality through the film, and digital cameras couldn't keep up with that. 
And so coming back to your question, you say, is it kind of safe? Is it stable? Is it That's what AI brings in. It brings a bunch of actually trade-offs on other things. And in our space, for example, our AI images are not as good as if you get your picture taken by a professional or photographer in terms of 8K, perfect detail on everything. But you get 500 of them in any background, any style, any place, and you can control them. So that's the underpinning, if you ask me, of all new tech, including AI, which is you're going to make an extra, an extra, some, kind of, some kind of trade-off somewhere. And you need to be conscious that that trade-off is probably short-term only and not dismiss it and say, well, it will never be as good as film. It will never be as good. This is it. I think this is the crux of it. Now, let's just think about the technologies itself. I mean, we're not going to – none of us are going to go out and develop – well, some will, but we're not going to create the technology that processes an image or the technology that, you know, processes the, the we've got other institutions doing that. And there's a lot of them, right? The, the one, this, uh, regenerative AI, you know, right now you've got Google in it. You've got Microsoft. You get the open AI and the chat GPT. There's a, these are the companies that are making something that we are going to consume as an innovator inside our product in some way. So, I mean, those companies, there's a lot of risk. Is this open source? Is this commercialized? I and mean, what's that model look like? Yeah, again, it depends on the kind of AI that you are considering to implement, whether it's text yeah. or, you know, the images. And I think maybe the additional question to ask is, if it does go wrong, what space are you in where it can't go wrong? Which is much better maybe question. A little bit yeah. what you're asking, right? Which is like if you're in the healthcare or financial services, I can understand that there's a much lower tolerance for some kind of failure with it. But coming back to what you asked, which is exactly you're exactly on the money, as they say, on you know how to think about it, which is that. You can always start with a third-party API through the open AI or, you know, there's an entire bunch of companies out there that offer, whether it images or kind of video or text, the LLMs out there. And you can always start there without building it yourself, without trying to kind of fine-tune it and see how far you can actually get with that and what the, what the actual failure modes are. Uh, I think what people realize and what we did as well in our space is like we thought, well, here's one global set of the parameters that we can use for everyone who gets there with a picture taken. And in actual fact, it's much more personalized than we thought, you know. And so even in your company, you think, you know, it could be something like maybe I'll do customer support with AI. And you think, well, it's just customer support. But in customer support, you have different tasks of different importance and, you know, the urgency and different kinds of levels of actual detail. And so it's good to test these third-party APIs with the different tasks that you're trying to solve. It's amazing to me because one of my earliest podcasts, and that's going back two years now, was uh, an individual, and he was talking about his he sits on a, on a board, I think it was at a university or a college level, uh, hearing lots of proposals, doing things with, with AI. And this is just two years ago. And he said most of what he was hearing was, was not possible or not right. And, and here we are two years later now, two years later from that. And it's like, it's everywhere. It moved awful fast. Why? Why did it move so fast? A big part of that has been the, what they call the, 
the what's in a transformer architecture in AI. And that uh, there was a, a sort of pivotal paper in 2017 called Attention is All You Need. Uh, so that was really a, it was a phase change in the way we process these large amounts of actual um, data to provide some good output. I think that sort of there's a lot of people talking about how does that like relate to AGI and all of that, but no one really thought, I think, that it could go as far as it could as you throw more compute power at it and as you throw more the parameters into the actual mix. I think we're still seeing how far it could go with that uh, because there's just we're in the next golden age of that. Whether that takes us all the way to the AGI or some issue level that we think it could be going to still is to be determined, I would say. But that, that was a very pivotal moment in machine learning because every startup up to then was going, how do I collect more data so that I can train on it? And now the paradigm is we can do more and more with actually smaller amounts of data. And okay. so that's why there's that open AI memo. No, sorry, not the open AI memo, the google.com memo we have no moat and neither does open ai <laughs> and so everyone's trying to figure out what is their moat yeah gotcha you know i i visited basf large chemical company obviously but they had an agricultural products division and you know at the time they were working on aerial photographs of because these farms are mega farms. There's no way anybody could go out and, and test and check and make sure the farm's okay, right? So a, a very high-level photograph, uh, maybe taken by a drone or something, identifying where the crops are not right and what the treatment plan should be. And I mean, it's just, it was a, it was a classic uh, image processing, but also an AI problem because it's your solution to your wrong color in your crops and your farm is going to be very different than mine because I'm in a different different country or a different soil type or whatever. So, I mean, it, it, this was this was a, a couple of years ago they were starting to work on this as well and it just seemed futuristic and now it's almost standard. I think those solutions exist out there and, and you know, these companies jumped on them. But if you're a company like that, you've got a product, I don't know, maybe it's a refrigerator, who knows? You've got a product and your product line and you're saying, you know, we see, we know what we want to do with AI. We, we understand the customer. We understand the problem. We can see the, we can see what we want to do. So that part of the equation's already been answered. What cautions would you give them now as they say, okay, we know what we want to do. We don't know where to start yet. What, what, what should they watch out for? Well, maybe tell me um, a bit more whether which of the AI kind of verticals is more interesting there because you have text, right, which has its yeah. own kind of challenges. Images have their own challenges. Fair um, enough. Let's, I, I think text is one thing people are very keen about, right, because yeah. there's let's a chatbot. Yeah. And so uh, I would say definitely the challenge that I think many companies have is how do I make sure that this doesn't hallucinate something that I don't want it to? How do, how do I make sure it doesn't say something that I actually want it to not say? You know, again, that comes back to the task almost. So, you know, even in the, the tooling that you have, the custom experience that you're trying to create, what problem are you trying to solve? And finding a safe way to experiment that with real world kind of data. And, you know, even if that means your internal team is like dog fooding that for some time. I mean, our story is that the first, 
thousand people maybe who ordered their AI headshots, there was no tooling in place or well, at the first couple of hundred, by that point, we actually had something, but I was going through all the pictures manually just to kind of make sure that I could understand it. So get as close to the problem, to the cold face, right, as you can, where you can actually experience it. Because I think in bigger teams also, they just feel like, let's just plug and play this and it is just going to somehow work. I like that. You know, I'm thinking of what what ran through my my mind as you were talking about that. Let me let me phrase this back, and you tell me, yeah, Paul, right or wrong. Feel free to say. Now you still didn't get it right. Yeah. But, uh, when I think about innovation, a lot of times people think about the jobs to be done. Right. They think about what are the things that that consumer has to do. And I think what I heard now is okay. We can go identify a bunch of jobs to be done, but rather than identify the job and then try to apply the AI technology against it. You got to be a little more, you got to be a little smarter than that. You got to think of, okay, here's the type of job that the AI technology today of today, you know, we're not talking two years from now of today could confidently solve. And here's other jobs that maybe we shouldn't start there right now. Is that a fair way of, of looking at it? Yeah, I really appreciate that you're sort of going at it from the other way, right? It's Maybe it's a combination of both, right? That's where the art comes in. It's sort of yeah. saying you, you have to have a grasp in your mind of what problem you're trying to solve for the customer, what the customer cares about. But at the same time, you have to be prepared to try it and say, okay, these are the tasks it's good at. Let's see what happens. Let's put it out there. You know, sort of you sort of aligning these two planes, which is what the technology can do and what problems the customer has. And each time you move, each time you move one, the other one sort of is in the wrong spot. So you have to like move one at a time almost and see what happens uh, and then see how close you can get them to the exact point that you want. Uh, and again, it comes back to your kind of first point, which is you have to create the room for experimentation or normalizing, normalizing the failure. And there's all kinds of tricks and tactics you can do in, as a company to try that. But there has to be that culture at the end of the day that hey, it's okay, we're going to give this a go and we don't expect it to do anything, but we are going to learn what we're doing. Yeah. If you never start, if you never start, you're never going to get it at all, right? So start, go easy, make some mistakes. I agree with all of that. Well, I don't know if it's a fair question or not, but you of everybody I now know could probably do the, maybe answer it. Where do you see it going? Yeah. So on the image side, I'll start there because that's what we're yeah. doing. I would say, you know, if you think of an image, you think of the image as being a something that you capture to some extent, right? You need to capture an image that you want to see, a photo of yourself or a commercial print ad. And I see this in AI accelerating that entire process from capturing to creating whatever you want. Um, and anything that you can think of that is captured, of course, I don't think you'll have an AI kind of wedding of photographer anytime soon because the a photography is a secondary part of that experience. I mean, it's, it's a, the, you know, it's the experiences that there is someone there and that you are there, you want to be there and you want to capture it. But in everything from, as we say, the portraits, which is what we're doing now, I see it playing a big role in e-commerce. I see it playing a big role in the commercial print. For example, on the e-commerce side, I would say, why do you see models on a store when you could see yourself wearing all the clothing? 
So, so that's, that's where the image side is going. And image in a way is closely related to the kind of video as well. And there's, if you just go online now and like you search for AI generated kind of videos, you'll see that people are beginning to do like a lot, uh, quite a bit of work in there. And Tom Hanks, I think he said he'll be starring in movies long after he's gone. <laughs> and that really, yeah. I think that will be the case. Wow. Yeah, we'll have wow. Tom Hanks forever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to think about, not Tom in general, but the implications of somebody uh, still being out there after they've gone. That's just, uh, wow. Exactly, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, But I mean, uh, from, the, from the other side, from the other side, if you ever look at uh, Indiana Jones, who's, uh, who's the actor again? Uh, Harrison Indiana Ford? Jones, uh, Harrison Ford, yeah. They de-aged him now for the kind yeah. of latest Indiana Jones movie, and that's what they are. So, it with AI, so, yeah, there's, sure. so at the beginning, it will just be a co-pilot. It will be something where you can do it quicker, better versus doing it in the traditional way. And then in 10 years time, I mean, someone's kids could be making a full kind of feature length film without a single camera. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that perspective. You know, I, I had one more question, but I, you sort of already answered it, but maybe not. Maybe you have a different answer. And it's hard for me to ask this question. I'll answer, I'll ask it and then I'll tell you why it was hard for me to ask. So the yeah, question okay. is going Good. to be, what are you working on? That's exciting. But then the answer is darn near everything. <laughs> that's all exciting. <laughs> I don't sleep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if there was one thing that you'd, you'd say, Oh, that's going to be, that's something yeah. I'm working on. I had a lot of fun with. Yeah. Yeah, I would actually, I'm really very keen to kind of share something we are busy with now, which is that, um, so just to set the sort of context, right, the, our, our technology is built on top of an open source model. And that okay. open source model stable, um, Diffusion came out in April of last year. And so there is one challenge with that model in that there's a bias in that particular model. And that means that as we train different people into that model, say if you're Indian or if you, you know, the Asian different, and of course, even in, you know, the Asian, there's different groups. So that's one, you know, overall group. They, so depending on your skin color or your ethnicity, you may have more of a problem in getting good output. And that seems really screwed up to us because i mean you know as an entrepreneur you always have this thing of like who's your ideal customer and, and it's okay to say my product is for stay-at-home moms and not for anyone else but it's not doesn't feel okay to say it's for stay-at-home moms but they have to have the skin color you know, like so that's the that's where we're trying to make it more accessible to everyone else so we've actually done quite a bit of work on that that's i'm excited about that because as we get more customers and as we collect more um, data on this, we can have different models for different people depending on their ethnic background. And that unlocks other things as well. That unlocks the international markets for us, uh, which is currently very kind of limited now to like the US and kind of Western markets, if you would like to call it that. Yeah. Wow. That's exciting. <laughs> you came up with an answer I would have never guessed. That's really cool. Uh, Marco, this has been a lot of fun. I mean, a lot of fun. Did we miss anything? I wouldn't, you know, we kind of, we would hang up and you'd say, oh, Paul, we should have talked about X. Or did we kind of cover a good, we covered a lot of ground. 
I think we did. I think the, you know, the, the questions that you asked on the bringing of AI into like a team, you can spend quite a bit of time on that. Uh, it's uh, to your, I would just sort of come back to that and re-emphasize these things that you sort of need to get kind of right. You know, the biggest problem in companies is that they add more kind of process. Process is there to bring the average up, right, in a way. So everyone who maybe isn't performing as well can perform like a bit better. But the problem is that it also so decreases the kind of variance in the company, but it brings the higher performers down a bit. And yeah. so you sort of need to figure out this space to create a kind of, uh, you want to just like, emphasize that for those who are actually looking to like, innovate in AI and uh, in their companies. But that's just me emphasizing on what we've already sort of covered. So I didn't really answer the question. No, but it's a great way to, it's a great way to sum it up. I think that means we kind of covered what we wanted to for today. So, uh, Mark, I can't thank you enough for, for stopping by and sharing, uh, your experience and, and, uh, your knowledge and, and your history. And uh, you've got some great stuff. Uh, it's going to be fun to watch where you go and where your company goes. And I, I wish you the best in all of that. But, uh, Thanks again, Marco. Really appreciate it. Okay, Paul. Thank you so much for your time as well. I also really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll keep in touch, okay? Yeah, of course, always. And thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. Wasn't that, that was a lot of fun, uh, especially for me, just to just, you know, we're all living and reading it every day. So to be able to talk to somebody who's who's actually doing it, uh, it was, was, was a real treat. And I and, uh, hope you enjoyed that. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com. <laughs>